Matt Maharo. He is a German uh, theologian, and he is also uh, works a- as a missionary to uh, and w- travels around the world. And we have also uh, Mo. He is a uh, Muslim, I guess, I guess, apologist, and he would uh, he lives in Toronto, and he he is a devout uh, uh, follower of Islam and. Um, we are going to talk about or discuss the divinity of Christ from the Christian perspective and the Islamic perspective. And so, um, and uh, yeah, wait, um, uh, one, two, and okay. So I think that um, uh, Matt uh, it, uh, gets to start first. Uh, thank you, Almo, for the chance to be with you, with with you guys to talk about Jesus. Thank you, Mo, and I hope we're gonna have a fruitful and interesting discussion. We are talking about the divinity of Jesus Christ, and um, I want to approach this uh, topic about is Jesus God or not uh, from two directions. And the first direction I want to approach is the grand narrative, this whole story of the Bible. What does the Bible say? And the Bible is a story. It's a, it has a red line coming from Genesis until the end. It tells a story with a climax. So I'm going to discover inside the story uh, that Jesus was promised and that he's God and that he came to uh, give himself as a sacrifice for us. And in the second part or second area I want to look at, individual verses that bring clarity that Jesus actually is God, that amplify that he has come in flesh. So these are the two parts. I'm going to look at the narrative, at the grand story, and then I'm going to go into individual verses to amplify, to strengthen um, the biblical view on the divinity of Jesus Christ. Now, the biblical narrative starts with the creation of this world. God creates heaven and earth, God creates all the animals, plants and everything, and in the end God creates men, uh, and finally when it's uh, men and women he says it's perfect. And then the um, serpent, the enemy, comes and he tempts uh, humans, and he tells them, did God really say? It's all about obedience, do you really obey God? Did he really say? And, and uh, when you disobey God, when you eat this fruit, um, what we read in Genesis, you will not die, but you're going to be like God. You're going to be all-powerful. You're going to be all-knowing. Now read in the story, either it's uh, it's a narrative or you take it little, literal, it doesn't matter, but read in this story that men did not uh, resist the temptation. They ate from the fruit. They rebelled against God. That's what is within the heart of mankind. From this moment on, mankind is stained. Um, we have immediately the first religious killing. Cain kills Abel because of a sacrifice, and God uh, walks and talks. Sorry, talks to Cain in Genesis 4:10 and says, "The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground." Mankind is doomed. God separates man from His presence. He puts an angel in between him and the garden. Um, there's an eternal separation of God. There's nothing that can bridge this separation because we are stained. We are not pure anymore. Sin has come into our life. In this moment, God already, in his grace and mercy, promises to the women, 
And it's interesting, it's not to Adam and Eve, but to the women. One child will be born from you, and this child will crush the head of the serpent of the devil, and uh, he will sting his heel, um, but salvation will come from this child. And from here on, from Genesis, the whole uh, prophecies about uh, this one child emerge and grow and get more clear and get more sophisticated. We see this with Abraham, because Abraham in Genesis 22:18 says, in your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So you, we, will all, we already see here, God chooses one family, one lineage, it's the family of Abraham, and it says, in your seed, all nations will be uh, blessed. And then in um, Exodus 9, 6, uh, when God approaches Moses, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Jacob, and uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we see the lineage is growing. Moses is uh, the one who leads the children of, of Israel out of the captivity. And he again promises that a prophet will come. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 18, it talks about this prophet who will uh, speak in the name of Yahweh, who will see God face to face, who will do the miracles Moses did. Uh, we see David prophesying about this child that shall be born in Psalm 22. It's the famous psalm Jesus quotes when he's on the cross, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22.1, but in 16.18 it says, They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They have looked and stared at me. They divide my garments among them. They cast lots on my clothing. This is exactly what happened under the cross where Jesus was crucified. So we see again the prophetic input gets more precise. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So here we already don't talk anymore about a human that is promised. This child is God. So we talk about the promise already from the Old Testament in Daniel 17, 13, verse 14, 13 and 14, 7, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. This is the passage Jesus quotes in front of the high priest when they condemned him in blasphemy. He says, you will see the Son uh, of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He will uh, call all nations to him. All language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom shall be not destroyed. This is in Daniel. In Micah 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, through you, uh, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be the ruler in Israel. Um, we have Isaiah 53, where it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. So this is, there are more verses, verses about Jesus in the Old Testament, but that's a good summon about the prophecy that increases uh, with, with, with uh, starting with Abraham through Moses, through David, through the prophets that clearly say this uh, child that was promised from the very start of the Bible 
will be uh, crucified, will be pierced, will die, will suffer, and will be God. And here we find the New Testament starting with John 1, 1 to 3. Um, in the beginning was the Word. Um, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in 14, the Word became flesh. This is how John starts his um, report, his gospel, about the life and teaching of Jesus. Jesus is born by the Virgin Mary, as promised in Genesis by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. He is approved by God when he is baptized in Matthew 3:16. Uh, the Holy Spirit appears like a dove on top of him, and God speaks from heaven, this is my son whom I am pleased with. Um, he is the one who will give his life as a ransom for many, Mark uh, 10, 45. He speaks in Matthew 16, 21, 21 that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. Um, Jesus is this sacrifice. He is the final sacrifice. When we uh, think about what was given to Moses, the three basic laws, the sacrificial law, the behavioral law, and the moral law, Jesus is fulfilling the sacrificial law to, because he's the Lamb of God that is sacrificed, that his blood split, his uh, blood is uh, uh, for us, given for us, for our forgiveness. No man could have done this. Uh, no human was capable to do this. Uh, then I, I go to the uh, single verses uh, in my, uh, uh, some time later. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, so, uh, in the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful, peace be on you. Salaamu Alaikum, thank you for having me. The question today is uh, Jesus divine. And I'm going to be negating this notion based on innateism, our innate disposition, the fitra. So I would like to start off by basically quoting the Quran. I'll say it in Arabic and then I'll say it in English. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajim Fa'akim wajhaka liddini hanifa Fitrata Allahi allati fatara al-nasa alayha La tabdeela l-khalqillah Thalika al-deenu al-qayyim Walakinna akthara al-nasi la ya'lamun what does this mean in English? It means, so sit your face to the faith uprightly. This faith being the nature designed by Allah on which he has created the mankind. There is no change in Allah's creation. That is the straight faith, but most people do not know. The exegesis of this passage means that Allah has instilled the fitrah, which is the innate disposition, in mankind. It is the parents or the society that corrupts it, alters it, or clouds it. There has been more disagreement in philosophy than any other discipline, even theology. There has been more disagreement in Christology than any other doctrine. The Bible is ambiguous about the status of Jesus. It's all an icy Jesus. But the Quran is explicit on the Tawheed, the oneness of God. It is in line with our God-given rational faculties and our innate disposition as well that God gave us. What's more coherent, Jesus being a prophet or Jesus being God? The divinity of Jesus caused confusion in Christology. We have Trinitarians, we have Binitarians, we have Unitarians. And we, and we even have oneness, Pentecostalism, a form of modelistic monarchianism, and many more. The Trinity was a historical development that began with the first council of Nicaea in 325 AD. 
So they basically philosophized it. So we can up we so we can come up with the concept that we have today. Ebionites, second century, were the closest to Jesus in terms of historical timeline. They were pretty much like the Muslims, monotheists. They were Unitarians in their nature because their innate disposition, they automatically believed God was one. So they took Jesus as a prophet and a messenger, and God as only one God, no trinity. Some scholars like James Dunn claim Binitarianism developed out of Paul's teachings. Therefore, Paul was most likely Binitarian. So it was Paul who came up with the concept of uh, deifying Jesus, making Jesus into a God. Now I want to say this to, to everyone, not just the Christians, but also the Muslims. Debating Christians on the Trinity using the Bible is futile and superfluous. That day is dead. We must philosophize now and be philosophically equipped. Use our God-given rational faculties in line with our innate disposition, which is the fitra. Not superimpose our own Jesus. okay? For example, let me go back in time. Uh, the Muslim polymaths during the Islamic dynasty, they took the works of the Greeks, criticized it, corrected it, and enhanced it. And they fully articulated it. So what they ended up finding out is that what the Greeks assumed as having the highest epistemic value, which is intellect, the Muslims said, no, it's not intellect. It's our intuition that has the highest epistemological value. The fitra is above the intellect. Okay, and our fitra is in line with pure monotheism, not this concept of the Trinity. William Lane Craig was once asked about the flying spaghetti monster, and he used an Islamic uh, negation, a philosophical Islamic negation against it, and he said this is a fallacy of equivocation. So now I'm going to use William Lane Craig's own argument against him. God is not culturally bound to be a Jew. Just like you need to be familiar with Italian cuisine to be familiar with spaghetti. God is not imaginable. Therefore, God cannot be anything observable in this reality. Just like spaghetti, you know what spaghetti is once you see it, and you know what Jesus is once you see him, he's a man. God is unchangeable. Necessary truth, you cannot change it. Just like 2 plus 2 equals 4. God is necessary truth. Jesus went through a development, a stage development like a man, a child, and then a man. God is universal. But Jesus is known through colonialism and imperialism, such as information transfer. So the red man of uh, the Americas, for example, the aboriginals of America and Australia, and even the Philippines, they all were monotheists until the Europeans came over and colonized them and gave them information transfer, told them about Jesus, which wasn't in line with their innate disposition. Even the Filipinos before the Muslims, they were purely monotheistic. They believed in uh, God in Bathala, if I'm not mistaken. Now let's go to uh, the, the last point is this, pure monotheism, Tawheed, provides a coherent worldview that is in line with our God-given rational faculties and fitra. The Trinity can never be coherent. It violates the laws of logic and violates rationality. It's incoherent, illogical, absurd. You cannot justify it. William Lane Craig amalgamated a pagan polytheistic concept such as Cerberus, the three-headed dog, can the third headed the second headed dog incarnate into a cat and be 100% cat and 100% dog without due respect this is nonsense now that's a fallacy of equivocation imitation of the triumvirate the triumvirate is a roman uh, po uh, 
a regime, political regime that had three heads who were, who were co-equal. So this is an imitation of the Roman uh, uh, pantheon of the triad as well. It's iniquity and polytheistic. God cannot die. It's a logical impossibility, just like God cannot be a man or a son of man, just like God cannot lie and does not repent. Only man can lie and only man can ask God to, for forgiveness and repent. God accepts the repentance. Uh, so we see Jesus a prophet. What this means that I'm trying now, um, our rational faculties are innate. So these are innate principles that I'm using, that God has given us. For example, the principle of identity, the principle of non-contradiction, and the principle of excluded middle. The principle of identity in a nutshell is, uh, for example, an apple is red. We all know what an apple is, or else uh, we wouldn't have definitions. We wouldn't have the dictionary. That's what the dictionary is about, identity and definitions. The principle of non-contradiction is basically uh, you cannot have uh, a man and God. You cannot be pregnant and not pregnant at the same time. You cannot be alive and dead at the same time. This is our contradictions. You cannot have a married bachelor. The principle of excluded middle is uh, basically it is either true or its negation is true. You cannot have something in the middle. So this is the any this uh, uh, the logical laws, the laws of logic that are innate, that God has given us, so we can distinguish between truth and falsehood. Therefore, I would say that Jesus cannot be God. He's only a prophet, and God is only one. So, yeah, so let me give you an, an, an analogy, for example, uh, in the principle of non-contradiction. Uh, Allah says in the Quran, Jesus and Mary, they used to eat food and walk in the marketplace. A fact everyone observed. The point is to show that neither God would never need to buy products or eat food or use the toilet. This would be uh, demeaning, defaming God, basically. So that's an example of a non-contradiction. God doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need food. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mo, for your presentation. Um, it's not a surprise for you that I disagree with you. Uh, and I basically disagree at the very start on um, uh, where do we go to to define the divinity of Jesus Christ? And there's only pl one place to go to, and uh, the place is the Bible. Um, let me answer uh, from a verse from Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is God. It's not uh, unclear. It's just that when you come from a preposition, when you want to read something into the Bible, because it cannot be, you must come to this conclusion. Why do I say this? The Quran, in my understanding, and I'm not a very, very deep expert, but I did study some of it, the Quran actually says Jesus is not God. So when the Bible contradicts the um, Quran, but the Quran claims its authority partly from the Bible, then you have a problem. So from a Muslim perspective, you must find a disagreement in the Bible. But see, the Trinity is a concept that comes right from the scripture. It's not done in Nicaea. Nicaea, 300 years uh, after the ascension of Christ to heaven, they just defined a, 
existing concept from the Bible. Um, and um, before I'm going to go and try very fast to go into certain uh, uh, verses that clarify Jesus being God, let me say one thing which I always find interesting. I don't know how often Mo explained what God can do and cannot do. I believe in an almighty God. If God decides to become man, who are we to stop him? Who are we to tell God, no, God cannot do this because it's not logical, it's not, we have an analogies, we have examples, it cannot work. No, actually, in my world, God can actually do whatever he wants. Now, um, uh, Elmo, I would really appreciate it if you give me like a 30 seconds warning so I can find a good closure to my argument. But I'm going to argue um, that Jesus is God on three assumptions. First assumption, Jesus is worshipped. And I take a few verses to prove this. Second is Jesus is called directly God. And the third is Jesus claims divine attributes that only belong to God. First, Jesus is worshipped in the New Testament, Matthew 14.33. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. These are Jews. They know that's blasphemy if Jesus is not God. They cannot worship him. The same in Matthew 28, 8 to 10. So the women hurried, hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Again, they are Jews. They know that's blasphemy. They have seen Jesus being crucified. They have seen his body being destroyed on the cross. And here yet he's transformed a life. They know he's God. So the next point, 1 John 5.50, very clearly. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Very clear. Another verse, John 20.28, 20, And Thomas said to him, My Lord and God. Again, dead on. It's dead on. He calls him my Lord in God. Second Peter 1 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, have, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. And you think that Peter's talking about two persons, please look up the Grand Bill Sharp's rule in Greek. The, thank you. The Grantsville Sharps rule in Greek exclude that you talk about two. Our God and Savior Jesus Christ is one person here. Furthermore, Jesus again claims attributes that only belong to God. John 17, 4-5, I've brought you glory on this earth by finishing this work, work you gave to me. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord. This is my name, my glory. I give to no other Jesus is claiming the same glory which he had from eternity with the Father, a glory that God doesn't share. That was my point. Thank you. Okay, so, okay, thanks for that, uh, Matt. So basically, the reason I'm using uh, philosophy, because philosophy is a method of basically attaining truth, okay, because God has given us our rational faculties, and that's innate. Okay, so the Quran has examples and analogies of human cognition and human intellect. Okay, so God gives us the how and the why. For example, says, Do you not use your intellect that I've given you? 
So we can be able to distinguish between a truth and falsehood or a, a sophisticated individual and a sophist. You know, because if someone comes to us and tells us, listen, Jesus is God, we, we can't just swallow it. We have to examine it. We have to rationalize it. So it wouldn't make sense. And this is why I use William Lane Craig's own argument against him. For example, William Lane Craig, he uses Islamic uh, philosophies against the atheists. But when it comes to Muslims, he basically, he acts like he's intellectually dishonest. For example, the flying spaghetti monster. Why isn't, he, why isn't the flying spaghetti monster a god? Because innately we know that this this is not God. It's based on uh, it's culturally bound and it's based on information transfer. You need to be familiar with Italian cuisine. Someone has to tell you about the dish, the spaghetti. So this is why I'm using William Lane Craig uh, argument against him, and he's it's a falsification. vacation. Jesus is a falsification. vacation. You cannot say God is man. For example, also William Lane Craig uses used Cerberus. Cerberus is a Greek. Uh, it's a it's a Greek god like a mythology three-headed dog okay it's a three-headed dog uh, basically and uh, it's the same as the pantheon of the triad or even the Roman uh, political um, uh, regime that is the triumvirate the triumvirate this is basically you have three heads who are um, who are co-equal just like the Father Son and Holy Ghost they're co-equal they're the same person but one essence. Now, when we look at personhood, when we try to define personhood according to the Christians, they'll tell you a person is someone with a soul, a spirit, and a, and a body. And a soul entails a free will. William Lane Craig said, no. Jesus only has a free will of the divine, not a free will of man. This is blasphemy, and that's why he's considered a heretic now. But if Jesus, because if Jesus does not have the, the free will of human, the atonement will be nullified, it will be invalid. Because he needs, according to Christian philosophy, you need to have, and this is why they try to philosophize the concept in the, in the Council of Nicaea, so we can have it, so we can basically be able to comprehend it today, because it was, uh, it was irrational, we could, it was incoherent. And it's still incoherent, because now as Jesus has two, is Jesus two persons or one person? Because if you say Jesus only has uh, one free will, and that's divine, then the atonement is nullified, and he's one person. But if he has two free will, a human free will and a God free will, then he's two persons. So you no longer have three persons in one essence, you have four persons in one essence. And that's the problem with the Trinity. No one can comprehend it because it's an innovation. It's an innovation. It's not it's something made by men. Hence, even, like I said, it's innate. It's innate uh, for us to believe in one God. The aboriginals believed in one God before colonization of Australia and of the Americas and even the Philippines. And I, all over the world, fundamentally, monotheism was the main religion, just like Adam. Adam was monotheistic. Abraham was monotheistic. Uh, David and Solomon and Moses and Jana and uh, Job, all of these prophets were monotheistic like Muhammad. Even Jesus was monotheistic until Paul came with the development and he, according to James Dunn, a scholar, he was Bonitarian. And he basically deified Jesus, he made a God out of Jesus, and from there the historical development began. The Ebionites were just like the monotheists, were just like the Muslims today, the Unitarians. So you have a lot of...
you have a lot of concepts emerging from the Bible, a lot of the religions. So this is why I don't engage from the Bible, even though I can. I can just quote other verses, and uh, and it's an old uh, that day is dead. You know, Muslims used to do it all the time. It's futile and superfluous. We need to now come to uh, argue based on principles, and innatism has the highest epistemic value. God has given us our fitra, our innate disposition, and it's innate to believe in one God. All right. Uh, thank you, Mo. Um, again, um, I realize now uh, we, we are talking from two different, or we draw from two, diff two different foundations. Um, while you emphasize again that um, uh, you go, you, you leave the Bible uh, behind you and you go to philosophy, um, I am a Christian, I believe in the Bible. I just read to you Colossians where we are actually warned to go into futile philosophy discussions. So the only foundation I have, I stand and I believe in is God's word. And so again, I trust uh, in God's word, uh, not in philosophy. Then you took a lot of time uh, in going to Craig. Now I do know him, I probably watched two three videos once some time ago, but you know it's kind of strange that you go back, back and again, and and, and you you bring examples and uh, discuss him because first of all I can't check anything you say, so I can't prove if you're wrong or right if you misquote him or quote him directly, and especially I'm not him. I wanted. To... Sorry. Okay. okay. So um so uh, uh I'm not Greg. <laughs> I I can't argue with you on the level of Greg. I'm sorry. There's no argument there. So uh, I would really like you to engage in um, and come to my uh, two basic claims. The first claim is the Bible is a story. It's a story of God with men as one part in the Bible. And the second part is men with God. It's a whole story. It has a red line. It has a narrative. Uh, there's an old part. That's what we call the old covenant. And we have the new covenant. Uh, it has a climax, and the whole story, the whole Bible story doesn't make sense if Jesus is a prophet. It just doesn't make sense because he gets crucified. He, they, we have the whole sacrificial system. We have the destruction of the temple afterwards, which we know by history. Um, so you have said nothing about the narrative of the Bible. If anyone with a sound and open mind reads, for example, the whole Gospel of John, he will understand that John uh, says very clearly Jesus is God. That's how he starts unambiguous the word was from the beginning it was with god it is god there's no doubt about it uh, and he goes along and tells a story that has a climax uh, and then he has even letters where he confirms that jesus is god so there is no doubt about this there's a clear story you have not engaged this and i came with verses and i came with clear verses i didn't pick the I am verses, for example, where we go into the uh, Hebrew and does it really mean when Jesus said I am that he uh, quotes God? I didn't go there. I go to very clear verses. I have more verses. I go to verses where it says Jesus is worship. There are more. Jesus is called God. There are more. Jesus claims divine attributes that only belong God. There are more. And I would love you to engage with this because there we see if the Bible has a story that tells Jesus is God. And if the Bible confirms the story with unambiguous verses that are very clear and with a, with, which are carried through. You know, and let me finish with this. Um, if I write a thesis, I begin my thesis with a statement. That's my beginning of the thesis. There I am. 
So when John starts with John 1, 1 to 3 and claims Jesus is uh, the word and he's God and he became flesh, then this is his thesis. This is where he builds the rest of his gospel on. And then when people come and they are un then they say here are unambiguous verses where Jesus says the Father is greater than I, but it's very clear that Jesus has become flesh. And in this, in this period where he's become flesh until he died, got resurrected and ascended, the Father in power was greater, but not in nature. We have a very good explanation within the Trinity to explain verses from John. But we cannot go and argue John against his beginning. We cannot go and say, oh, here John says Jesus is not God, while he started his gospel with saying he's God. So we need to explain these verses, and we can because Jesus uh, is distinct from God by John. John doesn't say that Jesus is only God. He says the word was with God. It's, it's a distinction. It's a distinction. So Jesus is not the Father, but he's with the Father and he's God. So we have already two parts of the Trinity. We can go back to Genesis 1, 1 to 2, where God creates and the Spirit of God hovers over the water. We already have the third part of the trying God, one in being, co-equal, co-eternal, three personas forming one God. Uh, it's understandable, and I can explain it. Thank you so much. Okay, Matt. Thanks. Thank you for that. So basically, you want me to delve in the Bible with you? I have no problem. I can delve in the Bible, no problem. But I'll have to use the Quran because according to to, to the to Allah, the Quran has authority over all the scriptures before the Quran. Okay. So this means the Quran has authority over the Gospel of Jesus and the Torah of Moses. The authentic ones, not just the Bible that you have. Just like when Jesus came, Jesus' gospel would be would have authority over the Torah. That's why the Jews rejected Jesus. So now we have the last testament. Not the new, not the old, we have the last, and that's the Quran. And the Quran is in line with human with what God has given us. Like I said, the fitra is changed when the parents, whether they be Jews or Christians or atheists or liberals, they basically brainwash the, the child. So the fitra is in it, is inside of all of us. And that's why I give the analogies of the red man of the Americas, the aboriginal of Australia, and even the Filipinos, they believed in one God without Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So that being said, the Shema Yisrael, this is basically in, uh, in, the, in the Bible, the Shema Yisrael, it's exactly like the Shahada that we have in Islam. La ilaha illallah, there is no God but Allah. So in the book of Deuteronomy, it says here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Mark 12, uh, 29 says, And Jesus answered him, this is from the mouth of Jesus, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, one, our Lord is one Lord. Okay, so this is exactly like the Shahada in Islam, La ilaha illallah. And even in the Quran it says, uh, your God is but one God. Okay, there, your God is but one God, there is no deity worthy of worship except Him, the, in, the entirely merciful and especially merciful. Okay, so this is also from the Quran, so it's in line with this biblical narrative that God is one. Uh, so now I can even go deeper if, uh, in the Bible if you want me to. For example, it says uh, in, Sam in 1 Samuel uh, 15, 29, 
It says, and also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not man that he should repent. This is in line with my uh, philosophical thinking, what God has given us. It's innate. Logic, logic is innate. We know that we're logical human beings. It's axiomatic, just like God is axiomatic. You don't need to philosophize or anything. God is innate. So when it says God is not a man, it's a logical impossibility for God to be a man. Okay, because God and the creation are not the same, or else you, may, you fall into a fallacy of equivocation, and you say God is like the three-headed dog, or God could be a flying spaghetti monster. It's a, it's a blasphemy. It's a, it's a iniquity. That's what Jesus says when people will, in the book of, um, for example, um, in the book of Ma Matthew, uh, chapter seven twenty-two, many will. This is from the mouth of Jesus. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is what the Christians are doing. They, they made Jesus into a God. This is iniquity. Iniquity means uh, blasphemy. It means polytheism. Matter of fact, iniquity means polytheism. And that's why I mentioned the Romans. Because even if you go back to, to uh, basically first sources, primary sources of uh, Christianity, there is a apologist by the name of Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to the uh, king of Rome. His name is Antoninus Pius. And he was trying to convince the Romans to basically adopt this Hebrew god. But, you know, the Romans and the Europeans, the Scandinavians and the Greeks were polytheistic. They believed in, in Zeus and Hercules and, and Odin and Thor, and it was polytheistic. So uh, Justin Martyr told them, and I'm paraphrasing, he told them, listen, just like you believe that Jupiter has sons, just the same thing applies to the Hebrew God. He has sons. And that's why Jesus comes in and now they defy Jesus like Thor, for example or like Jupiter and his sons, who are also gods. So this is uh, the iniquity that Jesus talks about. He tells them, get away from me, ye that work iniquity. Okay, uh, thank you, Mo, uh, for this uh, very, very uh, lively debate. Uh, and let me uh, comment on the Quran. Here's my problem. Um, the Quran is 600 years past Christ. The Bible is complete in itself. The story is over. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible that directs us to anything more to come. Any claims like uh, Muhammad is the Holy Spirit, uh, we can have another debate and I tear this apart because it's just not realistic, it's not there in the text. So um, this next level is there's no continuity except the, the claimed oneness of God. There's no con continuity from uh, the Bible to the Quran. Uh, Let's look at um, uh, Abraham. He has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And then God comes to Abraham and he talks about this awesome promise, this covenant he's going to do with him for the land and for all nations. And then Abraham comes and says, uh, well, you know, uh, here's Ishmael. Don't God take Ishmael. And God says, no. We can go back. I don't have the verse at hand, but I can prove that. I'm not lying about this. God says, no, I will bless Ishmael, but the covenant will come with the son Sarah's going to uh, have, and you're going to call him Isaac, and he's going to be the child of the covenant. So after this, uh, this is the first book in the Bible, Genesis. After this, throughout the whole Bible, 
nothing is mentioned again about Genesis. There's no prophecy about it. We, I know it's always tried to read Muhammad into the Bible, but we can kind of uh, crack any of this balls. Uh, it's not there. So why would I go to the Quran uh, to, to, <laughs> to verify whether Christ is God or not? Um, then we can go again like Second Samuel, and there are more verses. There are two, three times where God says, I'm not a man. And we don't believe that Jesus is a man. We believe that Jesus is God come in the form of flesh. He got becoming a man. Jesus embodies, that's what Colossians says, indwells the deity within his body. So we don't believe that he is a man. And here God says very clearly, I'm not a man. You can trust me or I don't lie. Uh, you know, that, that has nothing to do with God becoming man, with prophecies that are very clearly from Isaiah, that's called Emmanuel, God with us. It's the prophecies that a son will be born and he will be called mighty God. That's unambiguous. The others you need to stretch, you need to twist, you need to vary, but you can't. There are very clear prophecies that uh, speak straight about the divinity of Christ. Now let me come to Matthew 7, 22. See, Jesus says many will come and they will do things in my name. And that's what we have. We have, uh, from the very beginning, we have heresies. We have people that actually will want to take away the divinity of Christ. Another famous passage of this is in John 1, 4, uh, 1 John uh, 4, 1 to 4, where John warns of the false prophets. And he says, this is the spirit of the false prophets, that they deny Jesus come in flesh. And that's what we talk about. John says, who comes in flesh is the word. The word comes in flesh, again, in uh, John 1.14. So we have a direct connection. Jesus is the word who comes in flesh. The prophets, the spirits behind it, who deny Jesus come in flesh are the false prophets. So I reject this claim. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is not talking about us Christians here. We follow him because the Bible is very, very clear about the image of Jesus. It says Jesus is the image of the living God. In him we see him. And let me finish with this. The Bible says that actually our faith in Christ is what saves us. And salvation by faith is the element. And faith in what? Faith in a prophet? I don't have faith in a prophet. But John 6.40 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus saying, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I, Jesus says, I will raise him up at the last day. Only God can raise the dead. Thank you so much for this time. I conclude my case. Thank you, Mo. Uh, it was an honor, and I really enjoyed this time. Yes, yeah, so my final statement is basically, uh, Brother Matt, uh, he didn't really validate the, why Jesus is God. You know, He didn't uh, come with the cogent arguments, and he... Without due respect, he digressed a bit and talked about Ishmael and all these things and Muhammad. We're focusing on uh, the crux is Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. For example, in Second Chronicles 6:18, it says, "But will God, in very, de uh, but will God in very deed, will 
dwell, dwell with God, and very deep dwell with men on earth. Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. This basically means that God cannot even dwell with us in, on this earth, because this earth is a creation, but God Almighty is the creator, he's above, he's above all his creation. So it will be, it won't be monotheism, it will be pantheism, if God does that. It's pantheism, it's not monotheism. Even if you say, no, no, but God is in the heavens and Jesus, uh, and then uh, he incarnated and pierced, pierced through, and Jesus basically came out of a womb, that's also pantheism, it's not monotheism. So you have a problem now, because you're not defining what monotheism is. You have deviated away from Tawheed, from pure monotheism. Also, uh, there's a lot of passages in the Bible that I can use. For example, the atonement. If you're going to assume that just because Jesus died, therefore on the cross and uh, was risen again, then that's that makes him divine. I don't see any divinity in that because God can do the same thing. God can uh, bring the uh, the dead back to life. Like he did with Abraham in the Quran when, when Abraham asked him to show him uh, the, a sign of how to basically revive the dead. And the example was with birds. Abraham killed a few birds, he put them on a hill, and then he called them, and they came back to him alive. So God showed him how he revives the dead. It doesn't, just like Lazarus. It's mentioned in the Quran. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. It does not make him God. It's, he's a prophet. It's a miracle. Just like Moses split the sea. Now, splitting the sea is is uh, is more um, of a difficult matter than bringing someone from the dead, because you can just play doctor, but you're going with the law of physics. You're you're going against the laws of the cosmos. So I would say Moses done something that is more miraculous. Okay, so but it does not make any any one of them God. Uh, when we go to Deuteronomy, for example, it says, <clears throat> "You must not worship the Lord your God in their ways." in the polytheists' ways, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire and sacrifices to their gods. So why would God tell the Israelites, don't sacrifice your own sons? And then God himself ends up sacrificing his son. This sounds hypocrisy. According to Islam, God can simply... Uh, bestow his mercy and forgiveness on his uh, servants. God can, if someone repents, God will accept it. If someone repents sincerely and he wants God's mercy, God can send it to him. God doesn't have to shed blood for nobody. This is polytheistic and paganistic. The uh, the uh, the Aztecs, the Aztecs and the Mayans, they used to sacrifice bloodshed because they assume God needs the blood, needs the physical blood and the meat. But in the Quran it says, لا ينال الله لحومها ولا دماؤها ولكن ينال التقوى منكم God does not receive the blood and the meat from the, the, the sacrifices that you make but he receives the piety something on a metaphysical scale that's the piety so to deify Jesus just because he was crucified and all these things to me that, does, that doesn't make sense it's not in line with our any disposition this is polytheism, paganism it's in line with that and that's why it would be a fallacy of equivocation so basically uh, God is one it's innate and we can't really deviate away from that and we need to use our cognitive factors my question is this uh, does uh, Matt believe that we have an innate disposition 
just like John Calvin, for example, John Calvin, who was a Christian, he called it the, the census divinitatis, which is similar to our fitra. Does Zemad believe that we possess this fitra that God has given us, the census divinitatis, the innate disposition? And if so, then he should believe in one God because how, if it, without the Bible, would he even believe that Jesus is God if no one told him? Because if no one told him that Jesus is God, he would automatically believe in one God. He wouldn't be an atheist, he would be a deist or a monotheist. But he wouldn't believe in, uh, in uh, a man-God. That would be, there's no difference between him and the Hindus or even uh, anyone who's polytheistic, like the, the European uh, pagans or uh, the Egyptians as well, the Egyptian pagans, uh, the, Egyptian, the ancient Egyptians, or the Babylonians, matter of fact. And that's about it. So that's the end of it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This is your host, Elmo Ador Jr. And thank you for listening in. And please subscribe. Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks. Thank you.